Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Thank you. Thank you. Let's continue to pray. Lord, we thank you for the Cowboys this Monday night. We, oh. <laughs> I thought I'd take advantage of the mic, you know. There you go. Come on, Frank. Stand up. Show the people. This is what we do, baby. Tom Brady, it's over. It's done. Washed. Say goodbye. Don't you love we're not a religious church? <laughs> well, let's pray for real. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for every brother and sister in Christ in this, in this church, Lord, that you have knit us together for such a time as this, Lord. It's not by coincidence that we all have gathered and we come together in this body and this church with one head, Jesus Christ. He is the head. And we gather in his name, and we ask this morning, God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. And I ask that you would meet my weakness with your strength, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, I'm excited because the devil is a liar. You know, he always confirms when the Lord is speaking by trying to attack us. Um, and boy, was that a, a week of attack for me, so I'm... I'm just excited to finally get to this point to break through it. Amen? So uh, if we can make sure Chris's microphone is good to go, he's going to start with reading the passage of Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40 for me, please. Oh, can you bring on my mic, please? Oh, there it is, right there. Thank you. Harvest was ready to do it. Harvest was my servant today. He said my water was 35 degrees. Hello. So... <laughs> Such a humble man of God. <laughs> All right, go for it. Matthew 22, right? Yes, sir. 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sad Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Can you say amen? amen. And I know you've heard this scripture here many times, but today we're going to go somewhere new with it. Say new. The title of this message is called The New Commandment because we're going to enter into something that I believe is God's word to see revival for what's to come for the great harvest, but not only just the revival like we've seen it in the past, but sustained revival. How many just don't want another movement again? Where, yes, it comes, we see people get saved, but what is the fruit of those movements? You know, when I think of real movements, I mean, not to say some are fake, some are real. We won't know that. Only the Lord does. But I think of the Moravians. Because I look at people like the Moravians, and I think to myself, what looks like Jesus? The Moravians, if you don't know, they would sell themselves into slavery to reach the lost. And they were doing a day and night prayer for uh, around the clock. And when you got around Jesus enough, come on, somebody, when you get around Jesus enough, all of a sudden there's a river that begins to flow. We all know it. Jesus told us. He said if you taste and drink the water of life freely, there will be a river that comes forth. So we don't just partake of Jesus constantly, you know, we get thirsty, we partake, he fulfills. We get thirsty, we partake, he fulfills. No, we get thirsty, we partake of Jesus, and a river burst out. 
So this morning, I want to, I want to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be not, I'm gonna be not so nice to start, but I promise I'm gonna be nice later. All right. So lock the doors in the back, because <laughs> you gotta stick with me, because I'm gonna read some passages that are uncomfortable this morning, but I want to call out the spirit of religion in the church. But I promise it's in love. It's in love. I want you to think about what took place in that scripture we just read. You know, the, the, the scribe comes to Jesus, the Pharisee, and he asks him, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? You know, but a lot of times when they came to Jesus, the Pharisees and the religious, they would look to, you know, trap Jesus with their words. Their heart was not in the right place when they look for truth. Their heart was never in the right place. They would come to Jesus to, to satisfy their own convictions. And I know that's just those, you know, mean old Pharisees, right? There's nobody in here that does that. What I mean by that is you go to the word looking for excuses and ways out that, that make you feel more comfortable with these passages. Instead of just dealing with them and having the right humble mindset, which we're going to talk about. But I want to read a passage of scripture. Actually, I'm going to have Chris read it. Matthew 23. Verse 2, now I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with just calling out and, and highlighting the mindset of a Pharisee, the mindset of a scribe. Now understand this, scribes and Pharisees were around the word all day long. So this proves to us that it's possible to be around the word and still be filled with religion. It's possible to read it. Understand it, scribe it. I mean, imagine a scribe, how much he would read the word. But it never got deep in the inside of him. I think this is a picture of the church. I think this is the picture of what it is to come to church, right, on Sundays, but we don't have our own relationship with Christ. We can know the word. We can hear the word, right? You've heard that passage. When, I, when he read that passage, some, I may be crazy, but I guarantee there may be one, maybe just one, maybe just one person. He goes, oh, here we go. I've heard this passage so many times. Because it's true. We hear the, the, the word over and over, and we either respond with a hardened heart or a softened heart. Sometimes being around the word so much has hardened your heart and has even affected you to receive. Uh, I'm not going to get into it because if you've been here when I've been preaching in the past, you know my heart. I believe that transgender men and women are walking through those doors one day. I believe transgender preachers and worship leaders. I believe homosexual preachers and worship. What is the state of the church when those moments happen? I've asked those hearts before. I've come and every time I preach it seems to come out. Because I believe the Lord is bringing a harvest. And I don't believe the church is ready in the current mindset to receive that harvest without responding with pride. Go ahead, Matthew 23, let's get into it a little bit. Go ahead and read verse 2 through 15 and then 25 through 29. Jesus said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay on them men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. You can stop they, there because many people probably don't know what that is. Phylactery, however you say it, it used to hold the word. It was literally a leather bound, uh, it was a, almost like a bag you would put around yourself, and it held the word. 
And they would, they would basically spend a lot of money, because it's expensive, the type of leather they use, to make it as beautiful as possible. And so the rabbis would walk around with this word in this bag to show them how anointed and uh, powerful they were of how, or how high up they were and all that stuff. So just so you're wondering what that word means. Go ahead. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you. Don't say that in church. Oh, wait, we're talking to Jesus now. Go ahead. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of exhortation and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. Say amen to that. I don't need to preach. We can just let the word preach this morning. Come on. Jesus can see the heart of the Pharisee. And when he came, I feel like he held this in for a long time. He didn't make himself busy with the religious. Come on, somebody. This is toward the end of Jesus' ministry. He made himself busy with the lost. He made himself busy with the tax collectors, the ones rejected. He made himself busy with the ones like Mary Magdalene and all the ones that that have been tossed aside. That's who Jesus busied himself with. But I feel like this was, you know, know, for a while it was kind of coming up because we see Jesus in the temple with the whip, right? We don't like this Jesus. (laughs) It's uncomfortable. But this is just as much Jesus as the one I'm going to share here in a moment. But I wanted these words to be read because I wanted to, to, to prick our hearts and say, Lord, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Because you know what happens when you're a Pharisee? When you strive and you walk out your salvation by striving and you relate how you are with God about how good you've done, you're going back to the law. When you apply your, when you actually say, okay, the measure of my feeling, the measure of my emotions before God, the measure of my condemnation, the measure of my convictions, the measure of my relationship, when I run to Jesus, when I don't, if that is uh, connected to how good you are, you are under the law and not grace. That's not to say, okay, if you read Romans 6 and 7, 
That's not to say that we should sin, that grace may abound. Because Paul says, was the law death or was it life? Paul says the, the law was life. And if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know what covenant is, what it is to covet. But the law, which I looked at, this is Romans 6 and 7, and, I, and it was meant for life, it applied to me death. Okay, that's saying a lot. What are you saying? The very word of God that's meant to bring life brought me death because I applied it to me walking it out in my own strength. Not relying on the, 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 the beautiful blood of Jesus to wash me of my sins. And in the church right now, we're getting lost in this again. Think about, I almost, almost did this, and I, and, I, and I felt I shouldn't, but I almost did. <laughs> I almost put on this video that I saw a while back. Some of you guys might have seen it where the pastor convicts, uh, yells at the whole entire church because he's been praying for a Benz, and he's a great pastor, and y'all don't give me a Benz. And, and I remember I watched this, and I felt this conviction, and I just said, God, what does the Lord feel when this is taking place in our churches? And it might not take place on the pulpit, but, boy, it's taking place behind the scenes. Our superstar pastors, our superstar worship teams. Our superstar preachers and teachers, everyone that wants to get involved in the church, is doing it to be seen by men. If you saw in that scripture, he says, they make long prayers. They do all these things to be seen by men. Whatever happened to the day of blessing somebody and not letting your right hand know what your left hand did? Whatever happened to, imagine Jesus for a second. Does a miracle. Cleanses a leper. And tells him not to tell anybody. Imagine that in the church today. You think a leper came in here and got healed? We would be, that thing would be off YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. It would be everywhere. <laughs> and that's okay if your heart is right. That's not to say you can't do that. But we have to question it every so often. We have to come before the Lord and say, Lord, am I doing this to get applause for men? Because let me give you some wisdom in your walk with God. If you do it for applause of men to, uh, today, Tomorrow, you may struggle because you receive no applause. Because you're dependent on that applause to walk out your salvation. It's going to be there some days. And it's not going to be there other days. You know what that looks like? Your pastors, your preachers are not perfect people. And in the American church, we have put them on a pedestal. And that's why we fail sometimes. Because we believe they're meant to be, man, if, if the Lord were to play my life before on that screen, I would be embarrassed. Because I am a sinful man. I struggle. I struggle before the Lord and my walk with God. And that, that might be a surprise to you. Now, my struggle may look different than your struggle. You're like, that's your struggle? <laughs> I'm like, yes, that's my struggle. We all have struggles. Don't come into here. <laughs> you, know, you know, this should welcome you. This should be like a welcoming. I'm smiling. This means it's Okay. Come to church after you mess up. Come to church after you slipped up. Did you know if you stumbled, that doesn't mean you fell? Come on. Just because you stumbled don't mean you've fallen. You know, I love what we saw last week with the baptism, but here's a word of wisdom even for them. Don't, don't come back next in six months and think you got to get baptized again because you slipped up. Oh, come on, Jesus then you're putting your works before Jesus' righteousness. So that means in order to get into heaven, you have to live exactly the way G Jesus says and to walk out your righteousness exactly to a standard that you'll never achieve. 
So every time you go, okay, I messed up, I want to come back to God. So, you know, how many times we do an altar call and we see the same people, right? Because they don't have a revelation of this. They don't understand what it means to walk out your salvation. That's not to say you're, not, you're meant to be perfect or if you sin, you shouldn't ask for God to, you know, yes. Jesus was baptized and he had no sin. So even for last week, people that were came, that is definitely a new season, you open heaven, all of that. But be careful, be careful that you always have to run to the altar because you, you always feel like you mess up every week. That's walking out a life of condemnation. Okay, we're going to move forward. Romans 2.1, I'm, I'm still being sharp here for a couple more minutes, I promise. Uh, Chris, read Romans 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. For we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Look at that. Do you despise, church, his forbearance and long-suffering towards sin? When whoever walks through that door walks in with whatever they're carrying, are you going to be offended at God's mercy? You only are offended at God's mercy if you don't see yourself as needing mercy. You can only be offended at people when they come in with all their sin, and then all of a sudden, maybe they're starting to pray for people. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe they start to be used by God, and there's a pharisaical offense that comes in the heart of man when he sees somebody on the outside that doesn't deserve God to use them. This is what's coming on the land. There is a harvest of the most, I mean, in the eyes of man, darkest, deepest, sinful, Men and women that are about to be encountered by God. And it is going to offense, bring offense to the church, just like it did to the Pharisees. Jesus sitting with tax collectors and the Pharisees coming. If he only knew who he was sitting with, of course he knew. Jesus sitting in the home with a Pharisee invited to come sit with him. And a woman, a sinful woman, wipes his feet with her tears. And the Pharisee says in his mind, he says, if he only knew that woman and how sinful she was, he would not let her do that. (laughs) This is the type of mindset that's coming, that tries to creep into the church that we need to deal with. Luke 18, verse 9. I'm going to read this one. And he spoke this parable to, to some who trusted in themselves. Say, trusted in themselves. That they were righteous and they despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other men. (laughs) You might not say it out loud, but it's in your heart. Come on, somebody. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Lord. The Pharisee stood and prayed. He said, I'm not like those other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Look at him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. All the, and then the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house more justified than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Say amen. 
Who is the most, where is the most holiest place in the universe? The most holiest. I mean, the most holiest. If there was a measure that you can measure it, what is the most holiest location of all the universe? It's the throne room. It's the mercy seat. So let me get this. The holiest place, the holiest place in the universe is actually called the mercy seat. So to the level of holy comes the greatest level of mercy. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful. Theirs is the kingdom. For you shall obtain mercy. When revival begins to come, and we begin to be de- dealing with things that we're not used to because just so you know, Pharisees weren't used to this, right? This never looked like that before. They were stuck in their tradition, in their ways, their religion. And that religion could be summed up with doing it for the approval of man. Simple as that. Doing it for the approval of man is the spirit of religion. And when you get, when the spirit of religion gets a hold of you, offense is a fruit of it. Romans 7, verse 19. Can you read that one for me? Through 25. For the good that I will do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. If I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Stop there for a second. Now, I want you guys to pretend none of us are here. (laughs) Your neighbor's not next to you. Just for a moment, be real with yourself. Even as a Christian, now, just so you know who's reading this, this is Paul. This is Paul, right, one of the greatest disciples who wrote the two-thirds of the New Testament. He's admitting something to his followers. Listen to the humility in Paul's heart. Listen to the humility when he speaks regarding his own sin and how this is completely contrary to all of today's preachers and teachers and churches. I love them, but this is the reality. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some out there that are preaching truth. But I'm speaking of the the harvest. The, The Bible says, wide is the road. And it is few who find it. Why? So there are many being led astray. This is just reality. And obviously in the end times we know there's going to be a great falling away. Say falling away. The great apostasy. You can't fall away from, from something that you weren't following. They're following Jesus. There's going to be a great falling away. I believe all this is connected. And I believe Paul's heart here, this heart is the heart that we all need to be honest with ourselves <laughs> I'm just, I'm like, can you read the verse for Enrique real quick? Go ahead. This is Enrique confessing to the church. Go ahead. Now, if I do Start what from the I beginning. Will, Start from the beginning. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do that I practice. If I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body, from this body of death? I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now Romans 8 is literally the continuation of that verse. If there was no, no, no chapter or verses, it would read like this. For who is going to deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Because there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who don't, do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. 
So that verse we all love is found from a place of honesty and transparency. You can live a life of no condemnation if you live a life of humility and you do not allow the religious spirit, once you start doing good, right? I've been following Jesus for six months. I haven't slipped up. Wow, this is what God has always wanted me to do. Yeah. We put this religious walk in our mind that we have to look a certain way or we put a pastor or, or a leader in our mind. We got to look like him or we got to look like her. Our marriage needs to look like their marriage. And we put standards that are not achievable in our own strength. Bible says God has given us all a measure of grace. I hope to have a measure of grace that is greater. I, I want to go after the greatest measure, don't get me wrong, but I have a measure of grace that I need to humble myself. You know what all this does, guys? This makes us rely on Jesus. Okay, all right, you didn't hear me this morning. If you understand how you're loved... If you understand who loves you and how he loves you, then you won't struggle or strive to earn that love. But it starts with a revelation of who I am loved by. John 8. Well, let's actually, let's, let me just read it to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of breeze through a couple examples just so you can ask yourself this question. Here's the question. How does Jesus love? I just read to you how Pharisees walk and how they love. And we, the ver very first verse we started with, Jesus was speaking to a Pharisee, and he said, I'll wrap it all up for you. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in another uh, passage, he says, so who's my neighbor? And we know that passage where uh, um, the guy walking along the street, right, and the priest walks right by him, and he doesn't help him. Who's my neighbor? Jesus said, who was the neighbor to him? The one that had mercy that's how you love your neighbor, but here's the problem, and we're going to get to somewhere here in a second. We don't know how to love ourselves, so we measure our love for ourselves, and we don't measure, and we don't satisfy loving others because we don't even know how to love ourselves. I have a, a truth for you today. The measure of how you love yourself is not the standard of how you walk out the love of God in your life. That's biblical. We're going to see it. But think about how Jesus loves for a moment. How did Jesus love the woman at the well? How did Jesus love Mary Magdalene? How did Jesus love the lost and the forgotten? He said, I have not come to set the, to, to, for the righteous but the unrighteous, for the lost, to seek and save that which is lost. That is his purpose. And we've lost that purpose because we get tied up in the same religious spirit as the Pharisees did. But in John 13, 1, I'm going to highlight here real quick how Jesus loves Go ahead and uh, read that passage there, verse 1 through, I'll, I'll stop you along the way and I'll jump in, but go keep, you can start. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to, to the end. How do you love Jesus, right? That's the question. How do you love? Keep going. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which with he was girded. I want to read this part. So then he goes to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, are you washing my feet? 
Jesus then answered to him and he said, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter wasn't ready yet. He didn't understand what it is to receive love from Jesus. He was, he was not there yet. Now, he would understand it more after he denies Jesus and Jesus receives him back. But what was Peter struggling with that moment that Jesus went to, to wash his feet? Pride. Pride could actually stop you from receiving from God. So Jesus responds, and he says, well, he also says to Jesus, Lord, um, he said, well, Jesus responds and says, if I do not wash you, you will have no part of me. Simon Peter answers him and says, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. We all laugh at that verse, but this is Simon in error again. Simon, you don't understand. Jesus is like, he who is bathed only needs to wash his feet because you are completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Simon, you still don't understand. I've already cleansed you. Your walk has slightly caused a little bit of something that, that, that stuck to you from the world, and I just need to clean that off. But I don't need to clean your whole body, Simon. Simon was still walking in condemnation. He said, okay, you're going to wash me. I'm, I'm still unclean. And some of that was a good heart from, from Peter. It's a humble heart. He says, I'm a sinful man. He fell at Jesus' feet when Jesus called him. But Jesus says, Simon, I don't need to wash your whole body. I don't need to go baptize you again. <laughs> I don't need to teach you the things that I taught you when you first got saved about salvation, redemption. You've already, all you did was accumulate the things of this world as you walked on your path, and I will humble myself, and I'll wash that off of you. But that's all I have to clean, not your whole body. There is a beautiful truth in this. There's a beautiful truth. Jesus is teaching us that as we walk along the way, our feet will become more dirty. And all we have to do is let Jesus constantly wash our feet. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So think about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. This is taking place right after the Last Supper. This is taking place before Jesus goes to the cross. And the Bible says that the Satan had entered Judas and Jesus is like, perfect moment for me to wash Judas' feet. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, you could have washed Judas' feet last week. Why'd you wait till now? Oh, this will mess with your doctrine. This will mess with your doctrine. <laughs> wait a second. Judas is already betraying me in his heart, and now is the time you decide to wash his feet? <sighs> but yet, when we were still sinners, Christ Loved us, redeemed us, died when we were still sinners. Jesus says, now is a perfect example. I'm going to show you how I love those that are lost, even when I already know they're going to deny me. Oh, 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 I got to show you something. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. That's why I said today is something new. I'm going to say something maybe very controversial, but the great commandment, wasn't the fullness of Jesus' commandment. There is a better way, a higher standard to serve and love in, in God, in Christ, than the great commandment. <sighs> There's a higher standard than the great commandment. Really? Yes, there is. It's called the new commandment. It's found in John 13. After he washes their feet, he gets up. He says, look what I've done. Look at how I've served 
Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you to a new standard that how you love your neighbor is no longer dependent on how you love yourself. How you love your neighbor is no longer dependent on how you love yourself. Because some of you don't know true love because you've been loved inadequately from your father or your mother. Your definition of love is not the same definition of love as Jesus. Your standard of love is too low. You don't love like Jesus. You don't know how to love like Jesus. But I want to know. I want to get there. Let's read what he says. John 13, verse 34 through 35. You can read that. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Read that part one more time. Oh, Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the great commandment's not enough, disciples. I'm ho- calling you higher. Now it's no longer enough to love like, you're, like you love yourself. I'm asking you to love how I loved you. I'm the standard. Now I can imagine they remember when Mary, uh, uh, the w- sinful woman caught in adultery was thrown at his feet. And he began to ride in the sand. And all the religious people said, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to say? First one without sin cast the first stone. You don't know how to love like Jesus. Mary Bethany, Mary Magdalene, the tax collectors, Peter said he was a sinful man. We don't know that love. He says, this is the love that I'm calling you to. It's a new commandment. And this is how the world will know that you are mine and you're my followers. Think about that for a second. You're going to cast out demons. Yeah, okay. The world's going to know you're my followers We you cast out demons. No, that's not what he said. The world's going to know you're my followers by the way you preach. The world's going to know you're my followers by... He could have used any example. They're going to know my followers by the way they love one another. Oh, Jesus. I don't know if we can do that. You can't. <laughs> You can't achieve the standard of loving one another the way Jesus loves one another without the Holy Spirit. The great revival that's coming is coming with this in it. It can't be done without the Holy Spirit. You know, Billy Graham says 95% of what's happening in the church can be done without the Holy Spirit. It can be done without the Holy Spirit. Yeah. God's like, you want to love one another in the same love that I gave you now, now, you've got to understand what that love is. When I go before Jesus and I go, why me, God? Why would you call me, God? I don't deserve it. Why so much mercy over my life, God? When I go before God in my brokenness and I stand before him, the love that I receive from him is the very standard in how I have to love others. Learning to love one another. This was in the book of Acts. This is how the church was built. This is not a new idea, just for the record. You know, having all things in common. Someone else's need above yours. Philippians chapter 2, he says, have this mind in you. That he humbled himself. He put every el- everyone else's needs above himself. This is true unity. Did you know the word unity is one of the most commonly taught scriptures in all of the, um, the letters of Paul? People say, you know, salvation, doctrine, you know, uh, uh, um, redemption, all these things where unity is one of the most common uh, taught principles in Paul's letters. Unity. Unity of laying down one another's life for his friends. We see that 
in John 15. Just turn your page there. Look at John 15, verse 9. He says, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, George, I have loved you with that same love. That's not fair. That's scandalous. That's not fair. How can you love me, Jesus, with the same love that the Father loved you when you were holy, righteous in all of your ways? And I'm not. Because it's not about your life or how you walk it out. Your salvation is not through your works. I know it's just basic stuff. Maybe I'm a basic guy. Maybe you know this. Maybe it's just me. You know, y'all been in church a long time. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit has to give us this. Laying down one another's life. Like imagine if he actually called us to wash each other's feet. We've done it in certain services before, but it's always like, you know, you get that feeling like kind of like, oh, oh, you want me to wash his feet? Oh, he ain't been to the manicure in a while. That one, Lord? <laughs> it was so it was so against custom for a man to wash someone's foot because it was actually for a slave girl. Jesus made himself to a slave girl when he washed their feet. And then he says, Peter, I don't got to wash all of you. I just need to wash you because I already cleansed you, Peter. Why do you keep questioning, Peter? Why do you keep doubting, Peter? I have cleansed you. Look at John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments and abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandment and abide in his love. So he's saying, carry this love. Abide in this love. These things I have spoke to, spoken to you that, your, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. That word joy means kara. It is a word that means delight. Joy. When you feel this delight in God and this joy in God, there is nothing in you that wants the applause of man. John the Baptist walked in this. The church is going to be given this joy again that is not dependent on everyone else, but dependent on me understanding how he loves me. So when I understand how he loves me and someone walks through those doors that doesn't look like what I think should look like a Christian, I'm going to carry a humility and a mercy in my heart because I have revelation of the humility and mercy that he gave to me in my life. Blessed are the merciful. They will obtain mercy. Those first scriptures, do not judge. You know, we all love those. We try to fight against those words. Do not judge. Well, the Bible says, you know, judge the church. Don't judge because the Bible says you will, you will be held to that same judgment. Let me give you a warning. Careful what you let in your hearts. This joy that he's going to give us, this kara, is a joy that makes you full in Christ. So every time you come before God, you don't have to jump because somebody wants you to jump. You don't got to lift your hands because we told you, I mean, I got to feel bad for the worship team. <laughs> you know, PG sometimes like, come on, y'all. <laughs> He's like trying to get people to engage, you know. And it's like, do you understand you're standing before the king right now? And it's like, oh, I had a tough week. I'm tired. I got this and that. He's like, but you got to go before the king. And that's what praise is. My joy is full in him. So when I go before him, joy and fullness of praise comes out of me says, I want your joy to be full. Verse 12, this is my new commandment, my commandment, that you would love one another as I have loved you. It's not enough to love like your neighbor, love your neighbor like yourself anymore. The new commandment is you have to love your neighbor like I love you. So the question is, how much do I love you? 
So there's this constant going before God to constantly grow in your bridal identity, to understand how much you are loved. If you can't understand, every time I see somebody struggling uh, in, in, in any type of religion or when I struggle and I feel myself having to beat myself over, then I understand, why am I doubting his love? I'm Peter again. I'm saying, Lord, you got to wash all of me because I'm all messed up. And Jesus is like, you still don't understand, Peter. You are already cleansed. I just got to touch you up a little bit. Just because you stumble, you didn't fall. Just because you sin, you're not a sinner. Got to understand this. We're not perfect. We got to walk in this humility. As the church, as, isn't it, wouldn't it be nice, right, if all across uh, America, pastors were humble and didn't act like they never sinned? <laughs> oh, I'm not, I just need to be quiet. I need to be quiet because I got no amens in here. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> John 15, verse 17. Let me have the worship team come up. These things I command you that you would love one another. Love one another with not just any love. See, we struggle in this in the church. It happened in the book of Acts as well. In the book of Acts, Peter, in Acts chapter 10, was told to go preach to the Gentiles. So in that, Peter prayed for the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter goes back home to the church, and all the leaders in the Christian church in the book of Acts are arguing because they don't know if the Gentiles deserve the gospel. How can that argument take place when Jesus literally came to a Samarian woman at the well and told her to preach? Like, how can Jesus literally, like, let me start my ministry and let me go through, a, not through the Jews and go right to a Samarian woman. Or the woman that says, let the, let the crumbs fall from the, the, the table like a dog. But yet they're arguing amongst themselves if they deserve the gospel. We think that this is not happening in the church today. We need to wake up. You need to ask yourself what level of mercy you're willing to walk in in the next 10 years till the coming of Jesus. Well, you need to ask yourself what level of mercy, what, le what level of lack of judgment on others you're willing to walk in prior to what God's about to do with this harvest. I'll give you an example of this. Ephesians 3.17. This is beautiful. I want to read it in the, the Passion Translation. Chris, you can read that for me. You can turn there real quick. In the Passion Translation. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Then by constantly using your faith, the life, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love how enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measure that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to the overflowing with the fullness of God. Fullness of God. We want revival. Revival is coming when we live for one another. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We cannot love one another like Jesus loves without the Holy Spirit. This is a selflessness that comes. The more you encounter Jesus, the more you go before him, the more, this is going to sound weird, but you slipped up and God forgives you over and over again. 70 times 7, no matter how many times, you're like, God, how many times am I going to slip up? I'm such a sinner. Why am I even a Christian? I'm such a hypocrite. All these lies from the devil. Understand, this is how the devil separates the church. 
every revival that's ever come, there's been a division somewhere amongst each other. And if they would have learned how to lay down their own burdens, their own desires, I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't preach that way. I wouldn't preach this way. I wouldn't do that like that. I wouldn't lead worship like that. I'd do it this way. I'd do it that way. All thoughts that come into the mind of the church that constantly breed division in the church that stifens revival. True revival comes when you lay down your wants, your desires for the person sitting next to you. Because I've been so loved. Like I'm, 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 that, I'm, the, I'm the woman caught in adultery. I'm her on my knees, right? And I'm looking at Jesus wondering, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? He's just distracted. <laughs> distracted with mercy. Distracted with love. Oh, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Because I deserve it. I deserve his judgment. They are right. Did you know in the church, you could be 100% right about somebody, but on the wrong side? You could be actually telling, biblically, your words could be true. But your heart is in the wrong place, so now you're actually in the wrong. Whoa, what? The Pharisees would come to Jesus with the law. They would come to Jesus with the word, but their hearts were far from him. You could be 100% wrong and actually 100% right. It's all from the place of your heart. And if you put yourself in the place of lowliness, if you put yourself in the place of Paul, that scripture that we read earlier, I'm going to read it one more time and then we're going to pray. For the good that I will to do, I don't do it. The evil that I will not to do, I practice it. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I, but it is a sin that dwells in me. You're not a sinner. You're not, you don't need to not come to service for a couple weeks to get your, your, your walk right. Sin will come and attack again. It will cause you to stumble again. But you've got to be like Peter with Jesus. Say, Lord, I know I, I feel like I deserve you to wash my whole body. I, I feel that way. But Jesus says, but you're wrong. I don't have to cleanse your whole body. You are already cleansed. You are redeemed. You are saved. You just got some dirt on your feet. How many got some dirt on their feet this morning? Oh, wretched man that I am. This is the heart. If the church carried this heart, true revival will be sustained. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man. Who will deliver me from this body of death? It's only one answer. It's only in the fullness of the love of Jesus that I can walk in a life of no condemnation. It's not an excuse to sin because I love him. And when he loves me, I respond back with love. And love is not sin. He loves me. I realize that. I respond with love. And then I pour that love out amongst those around me. This is the new commandment. It's not enough anymore to love the way you love yourself. The standard has been lifted. The new commandment says, love in the same manner that I have loved you. Come on, let's stand. Jesus. Just wait on the Lord for a moment. No rush.
Spirit. We humble ourselves before you. Make us ready for what's about to come on the earth. Make us ready, Lord. Father, I ask that you would break off the spirit of religion right now. Come on, he's doing it. I don't need a screaming at you. I pray that he breaks off the spirit of religion over your life right now. Right now. Spirit of religion, the striving, the earning it by works, which is dead. The law that keeps trying to grab you and hold you and make you a slave to the law. I break that off of you right now in the name of Jesus. You are cleansed. You got some dirt on your feet, but you are cleansed. He has redeemed you. He has chosen you. You didn't choose him. Oh! He has chosen you. He said, you are mine. He said your name. He said, I want this one. I want this one, Father. This one is mine. You belong to me. I am yours and you are mine. Take yourself back to the place when you felt Jesus' love so much that all you wanted to do was tell other people about that love. Remember that feeling? The purity, the joy of salvation? That's that same word. Kara. Joy. He says, if you walk in this love, you will receive joy that's full. It's the same word that he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. You want to enter into how it feels in heaven? Walk in joy. Walk, walk in full delight. Walk in a life of no striving, no earning it. We enter the pearly gates by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. My righteousness is filthy rags. I'm not the standard. Jesus is the standard. Come on, lift your hands right now to the Lord. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.